When I contacted Outlander about doing a podcast episode, I did not expect to get an email back from Angela. Turns out that Nigel and Dragon, the two founders and owners of Outlander, are now the ex-owners of Outlander. Angela and her husband Johnny recently picked up Outlander in August of 2018 when OG founders Dragon and Nigel flew the coop. Now, assistant brewer Jason finds himself the head brewer and the senior employee. Together, the three of them are figuring out what Outlander's going to look like moving forward. But don't worry, it doesn't sound like it's going to be changing too much. I'm the Cycling Certified Cicerone, and this is Washington Beer Talk. I'm Angela Martinez. Um, My husband, Johnny, and I own the brewery together. And I'm Jason Vincian. I've been the, bre- the head brewer here for almost two years now and was assistant brewer before that and an intern before that. I've been with Outlander for a, a little over five years now, so since, since near the beginning. Okay, so Jason's been here a little longer, so I'm going to start with him. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So you've been here for about five years. The brewery itself is about six years old, is that so what you're saying? So it was founded, it was it August 3rd, 2012, if memory serves. I mean, I wasn't here for that. I started coming here as a customer probably May of 2013. I had just started homebrewing myself and uh, started, just came in here. This place had a really good vibe to it. Um, I tried the beer first time when Urban Family was still on Ballard Avenue uh, during Seattle Beer Week 2013. They still had, um, where they had a bunch of Ballard breweries there. So it was like all the Ballard breweries and then Outlander. And I was like, okay, I've heard about these guys, but I haven't had a chance to try their beer yet. And they brought the Chili Amber over to that event. And I tried some, I'm like, wow, this beer is really good. So I started coming here on Friday nights after uh, getting off from my old job and uh, got a really good rapport with Dragon. Dragon introduced me to Nigel because Nigel was always down in the basement brewing and we hit it off really well too. And I was sharing my home brews with them that I had just started home brewing. So within about a three month span, I went from a customer to an intern. And then uh, until we got, uh, it, was, it was August 2013, they uh, offered me the internship. Um, we expanded the basement. We were a one-barrel system. Uh, we expanded the basement to a three-and-a-half-barrel system uh, September 2014. And the, inter- uh, the internship came with the caveat that once the new system was in place that I would be hired on as the assistant brewer. So uh, that happened. What was the internship like? Were you getting, uh, were you getting paid? I'm guessing no. Uh, in beer. In beer. Well, you know, <laughs> if beer's part of your budget, yeah, then no, beer is money. It was, it was good. Like that was that was a pretty busy time for me because I was still doing full time at my job. I was working as a uh, corporate contractor for the federal government uh, down in uh, downtown Seattle, and then so from Monday through Friday I was doing that. Saturdays I was home brewing, doing working on my own recipes, and then Sundays I was here uh, helping Nigel out in the basement making all sorts of interesting and experimental creations had a lot of fun with that so you have you made fully exited the the uh, oh, yes. the government world now oh yes so you're full on so brewer. once yeah once i bounced uh or once i became assistant brewer basically transitioned uh out well i actually left a few months prior because uh there was there was a bit of roughness. Uh, Dragon had a, he had he had broken his leg, so Nigel was trying to have to he, uh, Dragon couldn't work here, so Nigel was trying to do the basement and the upstairs at the same time, and it was just too it's much like for him. It's impossible. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'm like, you know, I've got some money saved up. I'm getting a guaranteed job here in a few months. I'm jumping. So um, I don't I don't know if that you know continued the operation of the brewery or not. Maybe it did. I like to think it did, but that could just be my ego talking. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we, I was able to do that, and yeah, after it was, it was May 2014 is when I was just done down in uh, working for down working downtown Seattle. So okay, yeah, and so now yes, yeah, so now you're done, done with that kind of stuff. Are you happy with that transition? Yeah, yeah, I am. I mean, I, I love the people I worked with, but the work itself was not very fulfilling. So mm. no, nothing like a good career transition. Yeah, that was definitely a good career transition for me. So. Okay, we've got the background on you a little bit. Let's switch over to you. So, um, you recently acquired the brewery. Yep. What made you think that was a good move? <laughs> this is my husband's idea. Um, he had been friends with uh, Nigel and Dragon for almost the entire time they've had the place, so for about six years. Um, he'd been coming here and helping out as needed, as neighbors do in the businesses around and he was really interested in acquiring the business when they decided they wanted to sell and um, Dragon really wanted to keep it 
similar, pass it off into good hands, make sure you know that people would mesh well with the employees, that everybody would want to stay on. Um, and Johnny promised you know, that he would want to keep everything the same. So he had to talk me into it a little bit because I <laughs> we live in Puyallup, and so this is quite the commute. Wow. Um, and we have two kids also, So and I have a full-time job in Puyallup. So yeah. um, I did have to cut back to part-time doing that. Um, but yeah, it's it's been fun. It's been, it's definitely different. It's a completely different industry from what I'm I've been doing ever. So um, did you mention what you were up to before? You had a full time uh, job. I'm doing? a massage therapist for Jean Juarez, so and a trainer. So and this I, is a huge shift. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really different. Um, so I've had to learn how to do payroll, how to do taxes, how you know scheduling, um, getting entertainment bands booked. I mean, it's a completely different world. Bartending a little bit, cooking, yeah, very different. What was your, uh, did you have any beer background before this? No. <laughs> you mentioned it was your husband's idea, so yeah. and you had to be persuaded into it, so. Yeah, well, Johnny's been bartending for 20 plus years. Um, so he's not really familiar with the craft beer industry per se, but he, he knows the bartending industry. Um, and it was kind of something he wanted to dive into a little bit, so. Um, so where are, okay, so, so tell me about that transition a little bit. So Nigel and Dragon are done. They're mm -hmm. saying, hey, we want to get rid of the brewery. We're going to sell it to whoever wants to buy it or we sell it to, to you and your husband. Yeah. And what, what was that like? So you, you walk in here on day one, <laughs> they say, well, here are the keys and they leave or how did that go? No, it was a whole process. I mean, we had, we had to get an SBA loan through the bank, Johnny and I did. And it was just, and that was a process in itself because those are not easy to get. Um, they, they are, it's government funded. They're, they're difficult to get. They look into every aspect, every, they dissect every piece of your, like your personal life and everything. Um, it took months. We actually started that loan process in May um, and nothing was, like the ink was not signed, dotted, you know, T's crossed, I's dotted um, until I want to say mid-August even, even though we had officially with Dragon um, and Nigel officially, we started August 2nd. So mm -hmm. that was our official day, but nothing was completely finalized as far as the bank goes until about middle of August. Wow. So it was, yeah, it, it was hard to get, so... So y'all are still spinning right now, like trying to figure all this out because it's oh, only yeah, been a couple to, of months. Right. We're, so, we're learning as we're going. It, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Um, give me a sense of like, so you mentioned you had to get a loan out. I'd like to sort of get a sense of like kind of how much money we're talking. Don't go, you know, no need to go into any details, mm -hmm. but I'm imagining like in terms of like the full capital value of the brewery, right? There's a bunch of steel down in a basement and right. I don't imagine they owned this building. This is probably rented, right? It is. Mm -hmm. yeah. So... So what all did you sort of buy when you when you bought the brewery? Um, all the furnishings inside the building, all the equipment in the building, um, everything that's downstairs, uh, all you know, foosball table, everything that you, you see in the building is ours. Dishes, um, kitchen equipment, all of that is ours. So, um, but yeah, we do we do lease. We have a lease from Fremont Dock. Um, mm -hmm. So we're both mm -hmm. so it's been it's been interesting I do have a background in accounting um, for 17 years I worked in uh, hotels so and I did night audit there so I do have some background in accounting so that has come in handy you mentioned a lease from Fremont Dock so <coughs> they own this building mm -hmm. okay and Fremont Dock the, the bar the one that I no, no it's not a, the bar it's, it's uh, a, yeah, Fremont down Dock. the street okay. yeah, um, yeah they I think they own most of this block okay. yeah that makes so, a little more sense. Yeah. <laughs> I know uh, Susie Burke is the, the head there, and I know she's, her family's owned property in Seattle for generations now, so that's about all I know. <laughs> okay. Where are Dragon and Nigel now? So they started the brewery. Yeah. They uh, were the, yeah, the original founders, the original owners. They did all this stuff. They sort of brought it up, and then one day they were ready to bounce, and now they're they're gone. So what, what do you know anything about what's that background? Jason knows a little bit more than I do. Yeah. Um, well, so when I became head brewer in February of 2017, that was basically Nigel taking his leave of the brewery. He was still owner or half owner, but was pretty much hands off. I could consult with him, but um, it was just, there was a bit of, I think maybe just, they weren't seeing, Dragon and Nigel weren't quite seeing eye to eye on things. Really? So, yeah. 
Uh, but Night, uh, Dragon stayed on, and the reason he left um, is his family, his his parents are in their like late seventies, and he went home to go take care of them because like his brother has a family, and he was trying to take care of his parents and his wife and his kid, and it just was too much for his brother to handle. So he went back to go take care of you know family issues. So he's definitely you know <laughs> way out of the picture now. So yeah, um, that was Dragon. Who's that was Dragon? Okay, yeah. Nigel's still in the area. He's working for Rubens right. now. Um, Beyond that, I'm not really sure. <laughs> okay. That's that's what I know. You mentioned they weren't quite seeing eye to eye. Like just business-wise, for the most part. I mean, they really? still get along just fine. But yeah, just I think there was just differences in opinion on how they wanted to run things. Are you talking in terms of expanding their brewery, making it bigger, or just sort of the day-to-day stuff? Um, just kind idea? of the focus of the brewery. You know, hmm. so they, Dragon always wanted to have like a neighborhood spot, and what's kind of what this is. It's a neighborhood spot, and I mm-hmm. think Nigel might have wanted to expand further, which is why he probably went off to Rubens. I know they're doing really well right now. I, I, I just saw their new facility over on 46. I'm just like, whoa. I, yeah. I, pa- I pass by that building all mm-hmm. the time, and I noticed there was some construction going on over there, and then just the other day I saw them finally yep. put the big R up, and I was like, <laughs> Yeah, you know, big R and the like. I don't know how big those tanks are. Maybe 120 barrel. It's Good there's grief. at least at least four. From what I can see, it's hard to tell when you're driving by. It's yeah. Like, oh wow. <laughs> That's pure insanity. So, um, that, that, they're definitely. I, I know they're top 25 biggest brewery. Probably top 15 or 10 now. Oh, I would imagine. Yeah, up with like they're right next to the Fremont Brewery new mm-hmm. facility as well. Just crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. well, there. I think some. What I heard was eighty barrel hot side, two hundred and forty barrel fermenters, or something like that, in the new facility. Jesus Christ! So that's big. That's big. That's crazy. <laughs> um, versus y'all's three and a half. Barrel. Yeah. Hey, we expanded. We expanded four years ago. We, yeah. We we got a little bigger then, but. <laughs> Are you seeing any big differences yet? Like this is this just like a switch of ownership, and yeah, you're pretty you're much right? a switch of ownership, and I'm still doing what I'm doing downstairs, making beers. So yeah. I mean, that's what. Like what uh, Johnny and Angela came in at the beginning, they're like, you know, things are going to stay as they were, you know, business as usual, just keep doing your thing. It's like, okay. Cool. <laughs> we so shall you guys, proceed. <laughs> you yeah. didn't come rocking a boat or anything? No, that was not our intention. That's not what we want to do. Okay. And if we consult, I mean, we're still learning. Jason is kind of our teacher on all this too. So, I mean, we're learning from him. He's educating us. Um, we do want to go and, and brew with him because I actually want to learn how to make beer. So, um, and I'm excited to, to learn that. So hopefully we'll get going on that in a couple months. So, okay. That is, that is just so crazy to me that like, um, that you get to just learn all this stuff like on the fly. That's yeah. like a real, that's a real, uh, foot to the fire kind of, you know, yeah. into, the, <laughs> into the frying pan type of technique. Uh, <laughs> like how the beer industry works. Yeah. Uh, so that's great. Um, but I can imagine a pair of new owners coming in here and just doing so much as rearranging the furniture might like irk the longtime oh, employees. Yeah, yeah, and we like we did not want to come in here rocking the boat. I mean, and because we don't know that much about the industry, and we came here to learn as well as is you know take over ownership. We're just doing everything you know baby steps at a time so yeah we didn't want to come in here and oh yeah we're going to change this we're going to change the menu no we didn't want to piss anybody off (laughs) we had heard they're really good employees we have enjoyed meeting them knowing them um we love the guys so um yeah we that we don't want to piss anybody off (laughs) yeah um i know the brewery has like a little bit of like i don't know I, i guess baggage isn't the right word but like being an old brewery that's been around for a while and switching ownership like that you, i think you've got like a mug club now that you just inherited and like mm-hmm. these old kickstarter mugs on the wall yeah. that uh i was too late to get in on but uh i imagine every now and then you get someone new coming in here being like hey i want a four dollar beer or whatever the mug club deal is and you're just like oh man <laughs> stupid why am i gonna do this i just got a loan out on this place i didn't put in a kickstarter <laughs> i got nothing to do with this um, but I imagine you can't do anything that you're not you're expecting to you know, get rid of any of that. No. no. Um, but what's it like sort of slogging through everything that's here already and trying to make sense of it and organizing it? What's, what's onboarding to a new brewery even feel like? Right. It, we're just kind of asking employees, like my bartenders downstairs, as far as, you know, customers who come in and, and, you know, what do you do for this customer, this customer, you know, with the mug club and how does this work? And so we're just kind of, like I said, we're just learning from them. I'm trying to feel my way around that before we make any kind of decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, if, if we ever decide to do away with that, I mean, it's nothing we're going to do right now, but we're just kind of learning how things run right now so that we can make decisions later yeah. on. So, but yeah, we just uh, asked the bartenders, like, okay, what goes on with this person and how, and there was the same thing when I started booking entertainment. I'm like, what do we pay them and what do we offer them and how much can we offer them? And so I just had to ask and then, and then, you know, it's in place right now. It's something that may or may not change down the road. I don't know. But right now, we're just, we're learning and keeping things the same. Have you any ideas about what you'd like to change now that the, uh, the old owners are out? And you got some, you, now you have basically all the leverage as the nah. se- one of the senior employees. <laughs> uh, not really. I mean, it just as long as I get to continue being creative downstairs. I mean, I, I do like to know what people are drinking. And I kind of try to watch, you know, what kegs are kicking and everything and try to focus what I'm brewing towards that too but you know it's just trying to find the balance of that and then you know what's going to intrigue me the most as far as brewing and you know I I want people to come back and keep enjoying the beer and I've been getting good enough reports so mm. um, but there's no like big shakeups. yeah uh, I want to I, I want to launch into the beer related stuff talk about what you're brewing and what your real what your specific role is but I got one quick question I know you're in a room right now but would you have bought the brewery if you were given the option? I have wondered that myself. So this is a good question because I haven't picked his brain with that yet. I am not certain that I would have just because I know how much this is would be for one person to run. I mean, if I could have got in with a bunch of different people, perhaps, or people that, you know, but... Like, I'm, I, always, I keep going back and forth on it. Like, oh, I want to do my own. It's like, oh, no, I don't. I like brewing for one. It's, oh, it's... it's it's always just like it's not it's not concrete enough mm-hmm. for me to be like yeah I'm gonna jump right into it. Mm-hmm. So, what well, uh, something I hear said often is that a lot of home brewers like the idea of like owning their own brewery or starting a brewery. And that's why we have so many people doing that. And then what they come to find out is that they're actually business owners first and running a business and doing payroll and all the accounting, all that hard stuff. And they're not really getting to focus on brewing beer and brewing creative fun things like they want to. What they really want, a home brewer wants to do when they want to open a brewery is really be a head brewer at a brewery. Uh, A brewery like this where you get to do all kinds of experimental stuff. So let's shift gears over to the beer. you so Outlander's been known in the area for brewing just off the wall like weird funny stuff and like Bad Jimmy's kind of does some like weird stuff too um they uh but you guys have been basically the experts at it for as long as I've been (laughs) in the area yeah and you mentioned you like making creative brews and stuff as well um I do want to mention the uh like the peanut butter porter or the peanut butter stout you know who knows which one you guys actually brewed (laughs) but uh, it was the stout they, uh, I remember coming here and getting that as the first time I ever had a peanut butter beer. And since then, they sort of swept the area Definitely. and now sort of died away. Which is kind of funny, popular. too, because we got the idea, I think, for Big Owls Brewing, which isn't around anymore. Mm-hmm. But Because um, I know uh, they had one way back when. I never got a chance to try it, but Nigel really enjoyed their, and he wanted to try his own, or try making his own of the peanut butter stout. So, mm-hmm. um, But yeah, uh, peanut butter stout. Made it quite a few times now. It's, uh, I know people really enjoy it. I'm trying to find ways, and I think I've come up with something for it, so it's not such a pain to clean out the fermenter afterwards, because we use actual peanut butter, and that stuff will stick to the walls of the stainless steel tanks like nobody's business, so. And you can't use peanuts? Uh, no, that, that would be, well, I mean, it's, it's actual peanut butter. So right. uh, use, was it Adam's All Natural, but mm. so it'll, it imparts the flavor. They try to pour off the oils too. I mean, there's there's a whole crazy technique to it. But hmm. Which well, would you care to go into that? Are you giving <laughs> any trade secrets? Well, you know, um, <laughs> so I know I've like I've talked to other brewers that do peanut butter beers. Like I saw, I was looking through the list of podcasts that you've done. Like um, I'm good, pretty good friends with Jeff out of Middleton Brewing. Oh yeah. I know he does. Like he just did a bunch of stouts and like does a peanut butter one. And now he uses like PB two, which is kind of this powdered peanut butter. Which is easier to work with, but the flavor doesn't come through as well. Whereas, you know, with the peanut butter style that we do, with the actual peanut butter, such a pain to clean, but the peanut butter comes through with a nice note. So it's mm-hmm. it's a trade off right there. So you said uh, the Adam like Adam's all natural peanut butter. Yep. Is, that, is, that the, is that the Costco? No chunky. 
No chunky? Creamy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the whole peanuts, I think the issue is that like, they don't really come through all that well. Because mm-hmm. like, when you've, you know, when it's creamy, you've opened up the peanuts more, so you get more of the oils and the, mm-hmm. the flavor. Where there's, like, when they're just whole, you know, they're not going to you know, do a whole lot. So right. they're not opened up. You haven't opened up the flavor at, well, not really much. So mm-hmm. Okay. Let's talk about some of the other beers. So you guys have a, yeah, like I said earlier, crazy lineup usually. Uh, what's on tap right now? Oh, shoot, there's quite a bit. Not I mean, to we have... on the spot. <laughs> Memorize all your beers you have on tap. Well, I mean, we've always got our Cascade Warrior IPA and our Holy Basil Pale Ale, which are pretty much two beers we try to have on at all times, uh, just because so many people like those beers. And, you know, so we got people who come here strictly for Cascade or even strictly for Basil, and then the rest of the board is just kind of experimentation. Some occasionals, um, like the Azaka Pale Ale right now is one we started up a couple of years ago. It seems to do pretty well. Um, it's just a nice, it's a nice hoppy pale ale with Azaka hops. Um, I've been tinkering with a lot of like different fruit IPAs, uh, blending certain hops with certain fruits. Like the gemstone we have downstairs, it's a grapefruit and topaz hops, which similar notes. And then the guava, guava puree, and then Eldorado hops. So just gives a nice tropical character. Uh, the mango mojito was fun though. That's that's a whole bunch of stuff going on. It's you know mango puree, lime juice, uh, mint threw in at the end of boil, um, and then uh, nugget hops, which have can have a nice minty uh, uh, finish on them as well. So it's just kind of trying to find things that pair well together and to create kind of a you know, well balanced IPA that's maybe a little different than others, but. Uh, and then we've got our uh, the the shit show which you're drinking right now the rat the let's see the raspberry imperial shit show is the original name of that one and that one was uh, <laughs> that one started out as a homebrew actually um, we were doing it with one of our uh, old regulars he's moved since moved on to uh, his name's Neil he's since moved on to like Long Beach area but we were doing like occasional recipes like he'd come up with something you want to try something with us back on the one barrel system and we do like little five gallon batches. Um, to try it with him. So we were doing, we were just going to do a porter. It was a 7% beer, or was it supposed, it was supposed to be a 7% beer. <laughs> so the recipe had called for nine pounds of uh, malt extract. So uh, Neil, who was pouring the malt extract, wasn't paying attention. So nine pounds became 16 and a half pounds. <laughs> so a 7% porter became a 13% porter. <laughs> and we added the raspberries to it to cut the sweetness just because it was, it was pretty, pretty sweet without them. So uh, and then we ended up with about, like uh, five gallons or so, and we were like uh, bottling it off, kind of saving it for you know ourselves and just kind of whatever. But um, I know we tried a little bit off of the the bottom of the fermenter, and we're just like, uh, after a couple of them, we're just like, wow, this beer really is a <laughs> shit show, and the name stuck. So, um, but yeah, so that one that one I always try to bring back at least once a year. It's like I've kind of gotten to the point, and then of course we got the biggest dickus, which. Is our anniversary barley wine? We do one in a, for every anniversary, so we got the six on right now, which was uh, for our sixth anniversary in August, and it would just try to mix it up a little bit every year. Um, did plums this year because I thought plum barley wine sounded like it would be tasty, and it seems to have turned out pretty well. So um, we do a little bit of barrel aging too. Um, don't have the barrels up and running at the moment, but we have the Imperial Flanders Red, which is. 13%, we barrel aged it in like half in an American oak barrel, half in a, a French oak barrel that had white wine and red wine in it, and then blend them back together and kegged it off. Um, that one's fun. <laughs> that one is very fun. I'm trying to think of the other beers we have on tap. I know that's most of them. Uh, we've got our maple pumpkin spice on, which is a, you know our seasonal that we use. You know, It's maple syrup, pumpkin spice. Um, it's a, kind of an amber colored ale. Um, Let's see, what else is on our So our Sour Stop stays on, which... No. Yeah, because I saw, so I go through, you know, you go through uh, Oregon Fruit Product to order purees, which like all the fruits, it's either puree or actual fruit um, that I'll use down in the beers. And they had a Sour Stop puree, and it's like, what is Sour Stop? It's like, okay, so Sour Stop was 90% Sour Stop, 10% Tangerine. So I'm like reading up, I was like, wow, this sounds really interesting. So I was like, okay, I'm going to use this. And it turned out really nice. It's it's an, you know it's not too heavy on the yeast characters. It's kind of balanced the f- the fruit and the yeast and the mull and the hops. Let's see, I'm trying to remember what hops I used on that one. <laughs> I think probably probably did. Uh, yeah, I might have used either Galena or Styrian Aurora or something like that. You know something 
that fits well with the saison. You know, either a basic hop. I'd have to look at my recipes, but and is that it? There's oh the sour. The gunpowder green tea sour. Oh, I had this sour. Delicious. <laughs> Thank you. Had a sour that it was. I hadn't put anything in it yet. I was just. I was originally going to make that the sauerkraut sour, but the uh, time for Oktoberfest was passing, and it's like it wasn't quite ready yet. So I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna let it go, see where it goes. It ended up with this really nice citrusy note to it. So I'm like, all right, gunpowder green tea because I enjoy drinking teas. I mean, that's the thing. That's part of the things with the experimentation. I have to try out all these different herbs and teas and everything to kind of figure out new ingredients. It's just kind of experimenting. Um, so I put like uh, yeah, gunpowder green tea in there and um, yeah, it, it went pretty hard. It, it's almost 10% sour. So it's, uh, but yeah, it turned out pretty nice mm -hmm. in my opinion. So, um, and I, that I think is everything that's on tap right now. Seems like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That was good. Very good recollection. Yes. I would yeah. not have been able to pull that off, but I guess you spent a lot of time down there staring at it. You, so you, you're talking about doing lots of experimentation to kind of dial in your beers and get all this stuff. Or not, you haven't mentioned dialing in your beers, which is, my, this, which is why that's kind of my question. Um, you do lots of like weird experimental beers, but you don't have a lot of room to sort of mess up, right? When you make a batch, it's got to be good enough to sell. You don't get, you don't get to really... Do play around with it a lot exactly yeah. that's why you know kind of tamed it down a little bit um from the because like when we had the one barrel system it's like you mess up it's two kegs mm -hmm. gone but this is you know six plus kegs uh so it's got to be something that people enjoy and will actually you know enjoy mm -hmm. <laughs> so kind of trying to find the balance between experimentation and you know stuff that will continue to move so at this point, you must have it. You it seems like you probably have it pretty dialed in, where you can kind of say, "This is a weird flavor. I'm going to go for it. Let's see what if it. I'll, I'll try the plum barley wine. I'll try the basil pale or whatever." And and you sort of know going into it, like this will be a passable beer on the out. Like once it's done, whether or not it's the perfect combo, it'll still be good and it'll it will sell. Mm -hmm. So are you, but when you want to do like a really, really out there recipe, like something totally crazy and you're maybe not sure it's going to sell, like what, what do you do? Uh, though, sometimes you just got to go for it. <laughs> I haven't been too crazy yet, although we did just do a uh, winter warmer that, you know, it's like it was kind of, uh, I knew I was going to be brewing it, but I didn't realize I had to brew it so soon. So it's kind of like, okay, what do I have? What can I make with this? And I had to use a few grains that were, maybe a little a little more abstract than I would normally do and I had you know herbs and spices that I had on hand that it's like okay I can work with these it's it's quite the medley but uh, we just burned it yesterday and so it's got some nice notes to it like it starts toasty as we use some more toasted malt uh, a lot of special bee and uh, caramel aromatic um, and then the middle is this herbal character because we used a bunch of different like herbs because um, I like to go through um, Mountain Rose Herbs, they're out of Eugene. They have an amazing selection of herbs that you can use, like herbs and teas and all sorts of things. And it's organically sourced and all that good stuff. Um, so use some of those and the herbal character comes out in the middle and then on the finish, there's like a spicy note to it. Like, so we use grains of paradise seed, which are kind of a peppery, like it's um, have like a Jamaican pepper, if, I'm, if I recall correctly. I did look it up yesterday, so hopefully that's right. Um, but so it's just got, it's got, it kind of moves along as you drink it, which is what is interesting to me. It's like, I want to pick out those different notes of beers. I know some people would like to just come in, drink a beer, and enjoy it. But as a brewer, you know, that's what's kind of like gets it for me. It's like, oh, this, I taste this, and then I taste this, and then this, and it's like refreshing, and it finishes, and it's like, yeah, let's keep going. <laughs> Right Let's on. have another sip. Let's have another pint. <laughs> you know, you've been sitting there quietly for a while. We've been talking a lot about beer, uh, and I've got plenty more questions. I keep asking you, but uh, but this has got to be pretty crazy for you. So we're talking mm -hmm. all these technical details, yeah. some technical details, but mostly you know recipe formulation and stuff like that. Yeah. And you mentioned you basically don't have any background at all. No. So do you have any thoughts about? Well, I guess first I want to know maybe what you're other than doing a batch or two with him to kind of get up to speed what are you really trying to do to get up to speed in terms of you know in terms of beer uh -huh. and then um i guess i would I'd like also, i'd also like to know 
what you know what you think about Outlander's kind of current trajectory. So because they're they're well known in the area for their really crazy beers. Yeah. And I don't imagine you bought Outlander expecting to change that. No. But maybe but since you're kind of coming at it from a business perspective and the other guys are like they're gone, so there's no no one telling you like, hey, we can't like we have to keep doing this. I mean, right. obviously, you probably do want to keep doing crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, but anyway, so let's start with the first. So I'll get back to that. So let's start with my first question. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, what all what all are you doing to kind of get yourself up to speed here? Because you got to be just you know, like I said, in the yeah, like, just the on, on the financial business side of it. I mean, just like I said, learning how to do payroll, learning how to pay taxes, learning you know, talking to my employees, you know, just getting the business employee payroll, that kind of thing, insurance, whatnot, figuring all that out as far as the business side, our income, profit and loss, and you know, um, as far from everything, from food to the beer to, you know, whatever. It's just trying to figure that out first. Um, as far as learning how to brew, like, like I said, I ask Jason questions. I ask him, you know, anytime something new changes on the menu, what's in that? Um, can you t- describe it for me so that I can tell customers about it? Just basic education. Um, when I do go in and brew with him, I mean, obviously it's going to be a whole other situation complex and and what just learning what goes in it. and I even asked him what you know what is in beer that was like my first question what is the main ingredient in beer because I really I, I don't know <laughs> so I mean I've had I've had to ask him that so just you know seeing these ingredients go into the batch and, and how he makes it is is gonna be huge uh, as far as education wise goes for me um, and then, you know, maybe once I kind of figure out how things are running, I can ask him. And I would never change anything that Jason's doing or ask him to change anything. But maybe then I can make, you know, hey, do you, what do you think of this? And start throwing ideas to see if it's something that he'd be interested in I'm making. I'm always open to that. Yeah, so. but I would never I would never take away from what he's doing. I, I love the crazy weird flavors, I lo- which blend. I mean, they're good. Crazy weird good flavors. Um, I love the, the off-the-wall names that he comes up from. People love well, that. A lot of those are older. Yeah. <laughs> it's more Nigel and Dragon. There's a few. Yeah. Like the shit show. Yeah. So. When people come in and they, they, they play around. I mean, it's it's jokes, especially Biggest Dickest. I've heard so many. <laughs> that one, people just keep going and going and going. And it's it's hilarious, though. I mean, it just makes it, it, makes it a, a fun atmosphere. You know, mm. so and that gets other patrons, you know, talking to each other too, because then they'll, you know, start cracking jokes and and whatnot with each other. So I I like the atmosphere. I definitely want to keep that the same. I have no intention of going more mainstream with the beers. I I love the whole uh, craft concept and making these unique recipes that people love. So I'm noticing a, a very interesting kind of carp compartmentalization of you know what's going on not modularity I suppose of what's going on here you're the brewer you basically have free reign you know the most about beer of anyone here I imagine I don't know yeah, about Johnny he, we haven't talked about Johnny at all no he does uh, <laughs> you're okay. great <laughs> you know the most about beer about anyone here um, and you basically have free reign of the brewery and that's kind of how like of the, of the brew house and you've got free reign of the business side uh-huh. so you mentioned yeah. earlier like the you know profit and loss and getting up to speed and all like the you know those business aspects and stuff like that and uh, so no need to go into, into any serious details, but like, yeah, like how, how is that going? Are you, what, what are some of your considerations on the business side, like in terms of profitability, you know, letting him make a 13% beer with, like with, you know, potentially expensive herbs and right. spices and stuff. Right. Um, like, what are you, what are you looking at right now? Do you ever look at him and look at the numbers and kind of go, well, mm-hmm. shoot, the pail only costs, you know, this many dollars a gallon, you know, whatever. To be honest, like, co- completely honest, right now, we're just making enough to support our business. Like, mm-hmm. we haven't made any profit yet. Mm-hmm. Um, we're only a few months in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just happy saying, oh, yes, we can afford to pay our rents. We can afford to pay our employees. We can afford to, you know, pay our supplies that we need. Um, as we get further down the road, obviously the goal is to, to make profit. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's the goal for business owners. Um, he has free reign. If, if he wants, you know, if we get taxed higher on a higher percent alcohol beer, he knows I trust Jason. So I, he has 100% of my trust with the business. He helps us, you know, he's been helping us make business decisions and helping us 
as far as this process goes. So, I mean, I would trust him if he wanted to make a 13% alcohol and we get taxed higher on it. I know that if he says it's okay, we're going to sell it. So, I mean, he has that confidence. We have that confidence in him. And my husband is on the same page as I am. Jason's irreplaceable. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> Some employee, you know, for the most part, when you go into a business, I mean, even if you're a small business, I mean, you always hear this. And I've heard this from companies, you know, everybody's replaceable. Everybody's replaceable. Not here. Not, th that's not the way it works here. Especially in this case. I think that makes like... Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned getting taxed more on higher alcohol beers. Is that a real thing? The I, I remember yeah. I've read about that before. I know that's totally historically definitely a way that it is, done. It I didn't is, realize that we kind of did It's a real thing. Yeah. It's a real thing. How's that go? How's that sort of break down? Like, you know, 13% gets taxed, however. Oh, it's, gets taxed it's just the one threshold. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much 10% uh, or under is at a standard rate, and then 10.1% and above is at a higher rate. Mm -hmm. uh, well, at least that's the through the Washington State. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no real regulations on the federal side as far as I've seen. So Okay. Uh, we're talking about... You know, the hyper-local thing, being your corner brewery, but you want to increase your business and get more people into the tap room. So what are, you, what are you doing to do that? So you can't, like, distributing is not really an option. It's not exactly profitable. It's, it's, it's not an option right yeah. now. It is something that my husband is, is wanting to do maybe down the road. It's not attainable right now, um, but that is something that he would like to pursue. We've you know, mm -hmm. got to get the business going first a little bit before mm -hmm. we decide to do something like that. Mm -hmm. so. so in terms of pulling people into the tap room, uh, obviously Outlander has been doing just fine this entire time. It's been here for six years, which right. makes it older than most breweries in Seattle. Isn't that funny? Oh, wow. That's yeah. weird to think about it that way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but so obviously it's doing just fine, but like, what are the plans? We like, what do you, what do you, I don't know, what are some of your thoughts or what do you think you're going to do to try to get more people in here? How are you going to expand? Well, we're not looking necessarily to expand. Right, but you don't just, need to make the brewery yeah, bigger or make yeah. more, make or even like you, or even get a bigger brew house down right. there. Right, you know, yeah, but definitely we want to pack well, people in Well, we have a bit here. of an issue with that since headspace is a bit mm. limited at this point. So. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's summertime, you know, weather permitting, you know, is kind of when we really can pack more, you know, because we have the beer garden outside, um, but... For winter time, we just try to, you know, my husband bought heaters, these huge heaters to go out on the deck. So if it's a dry evening, you know, we can get more people in that way. Um, we're always trying to book entertainment because that gets people in, especially on the weekends. So, I mean, that's kind of our focus more in the winter time is just, you know, getting people together and getting them in here. Um, in the summertime, we have more options with the beer garden out back and, you know, more we can get more people in that way. So um, we do do events. Um, Jason and I went to brew at the zoo at the Woodland Park Zoo to try to get you know our name out there, get people more familiar, tasting our beers. That went really well. Um, we were the only ones, I think, who brought kegs. So we oh. did not run out of beer like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, I think pretty much everyone else around us had six barrels. So yeah. we brought a couple of half barrels. So Because I remember when Dragon used to go to it back, uh, you know, years previous, he would bring up half barrels. So. We still had a little bit left at the end, but yeah, yeah. But yeah, like we were people the party were just like, at the yeah. End of the so that's night. why everyone was yeah. coming to us. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas everyone else already blown through their six barrels. So. Yeah, uh, we're doing another event in uh, March for they have their big wedding expo in the Soto district. So we're going to be down there doing the same thing. So people know that they can come to us if they want to, you know, purchase six dolls or kegs for their weddings. So it's another way, you know, obviously we don't get paid for doing that, but it's a great way to get advertisement and for great events. So that's kind of what our focus is right now. Mm -hmm. When you say you don't get paid for it, you mean that the margins on selling a keg are just so low that they're basically not... Oh, no. When we do these events, you know, it's just don't, we're donating oh, beer. Donating we're donating beer. beer. It's all advert. It's just... So you're losing money on it. So you're... Um, we do get a tax write-off on it, okay. so they give us the tax ID number, we can write off the tax for it. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, no, we don't directly get money in our pocket for it. Mm -hmm. But I don't mind doing it every, if it's for a big event, a successful event. Brew at the Zoo was totally successful. It's in Woodland Park Zoo is right up the street from here. So, mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of those people who neighbor that area, then they were like, where are you guys located? That was a question we got frequently, because mm -hmm. we're close by. So, um, it, it is a great way to advertise. So... 
Okay. Get our name out there, get people to taste the beer. But, yeah, do you find you have any noticeable benefits? Like, how do you measure the benefits of your advertising when you do, when you when you give away a couple of kegs or you show up at the Woodland Park Zoo events? How do you sort of measure the results of that? Is there, can, is there a way, even? Not a real accurate way. I mean, people will pop in because everybody's so neighborly around here and, you know, they will pop in and a lot of times they'll mention that they had seen us or heard us or, you know, uh, when they were at that event. But there's no real measurable way to know. But, I mean, it's always good. You can get your name out there, but for people to actually taste your products is, that's why I do, you know, I'm up for doing things like that because where else are they going to be able, unless they, you know, if they haven't heard of us, they're not just going to walk in and ask for, you know, samples Mm -hmm. um, or tasters. So that's a good way for them to try it, love it and come here. Mm -hmm. So, but no, there's no real measurable way to know. So. One of the things you're talking about people sort of wandering in. One of the things I remember about this place when I first came was that kind of getting into the door is almost a little intimidating. It's kind of like, it looks like a private club. It looks yeah. almost like you're walking into someone's house, yeah. which is a little strange. I mean, obviously <laughs> you kind of are. This is exactly right. this yeah. house. This is a house. Yeah. Uh, um, which we haven't really talked about at all, but uh, <laughs> that is, uh, but that was that was so weird because you kind of you got you go down a hallway, you pass by the bathroom, you yeah. look in, you if you don't see people immediately who are like in line ahead of you, then maybe you're you got no idea what's mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, I remember that sensation being very weird the first couple of times <laughs> I came here. Uh, but after that, though, it's really it becomes you know very homey. Mm-hmm. So this is a house. Uh, let's yeah. talk about that a little bit. So yeah. we're in a house. What's up with that? Do you remember why they picked a place like this to, to open up their brewery? So it was either between here or where the folks from Populux decided to start their brewery. Mm. And they looked at it here. Everything was set up pretty much ready to go. I mean, they had to set up the brewery, of course. But like I know with the Populux folks, they had to do like replumb the whole place. And they had to do like all this construction work to get it up to code so they could open. Because uh, I think they opened... It was like March of 2013 um, after us. So it's like uh, they wanted a place that was ready to go. So, uh, mm-hmm. and they thought it was pretty cool. You know, could set up the brewery in the basement and have the tap room on the main floor, have the upstairs where we're in now for events and such. So, um, that, I mean, beyond that, you'd have to ask them. But yeah. <laughs> it's got to be a pain bringing a basement. You got to drag everything upstairs, don't you? Uh, no, not really. Uh, we've got our tap lines are all downstairs. They run, the lines run from the basement to the main floor. We used to have to do that though. Um, and we mostly did six barrels. Every once in a while we do half barrels. Carrying a half barrel up, uh, you know, a couple flights of stairs, not the most fun thing in the world, but, um, (laughs) yeah, because we used to have like, you know, kegerators that we'd hook up or, Mm. you know, like four taps each and then pull off of those. But I think it was... I want to say around Christmas 2014, I want to say, that we got the lines put in, and that has made a world of difference. So, um, For distribution, though, you still have to you know, lug kegs upstairs to get them out, but yeah, it's not, not that bad at this point. But at first, yes. <laughs> how does that tap line system look? How does that even work? So how the lo- the lines have to be pretty long. It's what about twenty feet. Twenty feet. Twenty feet. You is that too? Is that long enough to require like boosters or anything along the way, or do you just have the kegs on high enough pressure to blast them through? Kegs are on high enough pressure. We've got a we've got a CO two blender, so it's mm-hmm. I think we're pushing seventy percent CO two, thirty percent nitrogen, mm-hmm. and just it's moving everything up. Um, yeah, we got the blender, but mm-hmm. beyond that. No, our, okay. it, everything moves just fine. So, okay. So the point of the nitrogen is to make sure that the the beer is at a high enough pressure to get through the lines, but then it also doesn't dissolve into the beer too much. Right. Just to ch- doesn't change the carbonation, like the flavor profile of the beer. Right. Was there a learning curve there? Were you involved in setting that up? I was <laughs> around when that was that learning curve was happening, but mm-hmm. that was more through Nigel's experimentation too, like trying to because I mean, when it started out, it was you know. Co-owner, head brewer, trying to figure all this stuff. Like he, yeah, he was a bit of a, or still is a bit of a scientific genius on these things. I mean, that's a strong word, but I'm sure he'd appreciate that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he's very good at MacGyvering things together. So I mean, that's, but I think that's a brewer trait. I've that's I'm not going to say that's specific to him. I mean, I've had to do a pyramid of MacGyvering myself, and other brewers I know do it as well, just yeah. to make sure everything works. So. <laughs> um, yeah. 
my my little kegerator at home is pretty MacGyvered together. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a brewing. I mean it's a lot of you know experimenting with recipes and also experimenting with making things work. Maybe it's not the most conventional way. You know, maybe it's not as shiny as some of like the really big, well-funded breweries. But you know, it's like we make it work. We make it happen. So you mentioned so speaking of MacGyvering, you mentioned the basement that's really short. <laughs> Lacking on headspace. Yep. Uh, describe that a little more. I haven't been down there. I, I'd like to pop we'll in. We'll have to take, take you photos. down there when sure, we're yeah, done. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so describe what that basement's like. What are some of the limitations down there? Uh, so it's, I think, to the, where the drywall is, it's six foot seven. Uh, to the floor itself, it's about seven feet. Um, so when we ordered the three and a half barrel system, uh, the tanks were a bit uh, overspecced or perhaps either overspecced or didn't. I realized that the, the clean and place arm was going to go up higher. So we had to cut holes into the drywall so the clean and place arm could go in, down into the tanks in order to clean the, the, uh, the tanks themselves. So like when they were, I think the tanks were about eight inches taller than we thought they were going to be. Mm-hmm. So, I mean that, yeah. So that screwed things up <laughs> with the clean place arm and yeah. So that was that was fun, um, and of course, being in the basement of a hundred and twenty-two year old house has its has uh, has some interesting quirks. With, to yeah, it with too. no air conditioning. Yeah. So in the in the summer, it's a little warm. Uh, not too bad in the winter. No, it's quite comfy in here right yeah. now. Yeah. Well, we're upstairs right now, but the basement yeah. is of a similar temperature right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's yeah, that's definitely a big one. It's just getting enough air circulation going on down there in the summer. I mean, it's. I've I've got family back like my family's in Tennessee. I've done work down there, so it's pretty much like being working in the middle of summer in the South. So it's not something I'm unfamiliar with. I also used to work for Pagliacci Pizza. Had four five hundred fifty degree ovens right behind me while I'm tossing. So I can I can deal with the heat. I can stay in the kitchen. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See other limitations. It's just space is a big one too, because I mean it's the basement of a house, and we've got six three and a half barrel um, stainless steel tanks down there, plus a you know three plus barrel uh, bright tank and a couple of uh, plastic tanks. One's three, one's two and a half. So um, barrel aging. We had our barrels on the floor for a while. You know, kind of looking. It's like could I do a cradle down here somewhere? <laughs> uh, it's just kind of like it's figuring out how to rearrange things, how to minimize old stuff that's down there that's maybe not essential to what we're doing anymore or you know because there's a lot of like bits and bobs spare pieces that it's like oh do we still need this stuff and it's like i've been in some cramped breweries like uh have you guys been to dirty couch or no we're actually uh kind of potentially maybe trying to be in the works was to do something with them too yeah just kind of in the talking phases right now that'd be fun you guys kind of are in the same vibe thematically like i think a little bit um but uh, but before I forget, I want to ask about the Outlander, like branding, like the guy. I don't want this to be lost to history. Obviously, with the original founders going away, um, you know who is the Outlander? What were y'all thinking? What's the uh, what's the move there? So it was based on like the was it the Middle English? It's like the person coming from an area, uh, from a different area, bringing new ideas to an, a new area. So that's why it's kind of like the the cloaked garb and all that. Um, so basically bringing outlandish ideas is where the idea came from. So uh, as far as who designed it, I'm pretty sure it was Dragon's ex-wife. Um, so it's, that's, I mean, that might be a bit lost to history too, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. So, um, you know, what are the implications of sort of being the outlander, you know, of having these outlandish beers? Obviously you are brewing crazy stuff, but I mean, what are the other, <laughs> have, you, have you kind of sort of considered, you know, maybe... Uh, I don't know kind of what that looks like how, why that branding is different or better than other brands obviously branding your breweries and it's really hard everyone, or everyone right. likes to do it but not everyone nails it right. I, think, I think it's a really cool uh, really really cool logo and a really cool yeah, kind of personality but I mean you know you, you kind of maybe you're taking a risk kind of branding yourself as the outlander you know this is a place for outsiders or something like that do you guys ever consider anything like that or how does it feel to you that's an interesting question. It is uh, <laughs> a little rambling. No, no, no. Um, yeah, I mean, that, those all are valid points. It's just, yeah, like being not one of the founders, I don't have the answers as to what were in their brains when that happened. But um, I'm not sure, like, who was, like, behind each... I'm, I'm thinking, like, because um, I know... 
originally it was supposed was they were thinking about calling it foreigner brewing, but mm. they're like that's you know it's gonna get gonna sound weird. It's gonna people are gonna think about the band or you know something perhaps less. Mm. Um, but then of course we get Outlander and. Uh, Apparently, unbeknownst to us, there was the book series, which has now become a TV series on Stars. Which people have actually come, fan club has come here, and you know they've watched the show upstairs, and they've you know. But, so it's, it's a fun little tie-in, but um, I think that was just yeah, wanting to do experimental beers, wanting to bring new ideas to the brewing community, and just do our thing. So I was in Minneapolis, and I went to a brewery called uh, St. Paul's Flat Earth. And they, so they were, I sort of asked them a similar question, like, what were you thinking, name your thing Flat Earth? And they talked about, like, well, yeah, we're not a bunch of Flat Earthers. We don't really think the Earth is flat or anything like this. Um, and we like to have, like, like I don't know, science-themed names and stuff like that. So it's pretty obvious that we're not a bunch of crazy Flat Earthers. But we do get Flat Earthers in here every now and then who are just, like, really excited about it. And, and uh, you know, the, some of those Flat Earth clubs or whatever those fan groups are will come and they'll meet. And, uh, and they'll just drink Flat Earth beer and talk about Flat Earth. <laughs> that is just so funny. Wow. Anyway. To be a fly on the wall in that situation. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, those guys. Um, anyway. Okay, okay. So that's a that's a good answer for, for, for Outlander. I, I, I like... The logo, the title, what it what it means. Yeah, we're brewing different things. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess you could take it as, yeah, we get kind of outsider type outlandish people as well. I mean, people come in here, they, they don't do the typical bar things. There's no TVs except in, in the room over next door here where they can play video games and such. But we don't, we don't play Sunday football. We don't do, you know, typical bar things. I mean, we have board games and chess and... Um, we like to have artwork displayed, you know, um, we'll have local artists come display and sell their artwork. It's just more that kind of thing rather than, you know, TV loud music type thing. And when we do have music, it's, it's live performers, so. I've definitely been here for a couple of live performances mm-hmm. and it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been talking for a while now, so I want to do one quick one quick silly question uh the lightning round i guess um what are uh, let's start with what is your favorite beer ever perhaps the beer that turned you into the drinker you are today oh boy um i i always like to answer this question with the one in front of me but uh, (laughs) i mean there's there's been quite a few i mean it's like it started of course it starts out with the the ab InBev product or whatever i think Corona was probably like the first beer I bought, and I'm just like, then Alaskan Amber was the next discovery, which was a fair decent step beyond that. But I would say maybe Fort George, really, because I, I, I was down in Astoria, I was at a restaurant baked Alaska, and I started, I mean, I've been drinking cra- bigger craft brew, but that was when first brewery I really got into, like, I was down there at the time, and I like had uh, one of their uh, Cavatica Stouts, and I'm just like, wow, this beer is really good. Where do they brew this? And it's like, yeah, just down the street. I didn't have time to go there that year, but I went down the next year and went to Fort George when they still just had the one story. They didn't have the Lavelle Tap Room or the upstairs setup yet, so I really just kind of got into what they were doing. It was like, wow, there's really cool stuff, you know, making really good beers. And so I would say Fort George was probably like one of the big places that really started it for me. Um, but I mean, there's other breweries that have come up since that have kind of like helped me or like hone what I'm interested in. Like, I love what Logsdon Brewing is doing. Like, their sours are really, their sours and wilds are just really good. Really, what the guys out of Propolis are doing, because they're very unique out there. They have mm-hmm. kind of their own, their own thing. Like, nobody else is really doing beers like they're doing beers, at least not at the time when they started. Maybe there are some now that I'm just not aware of, but I think they, they're still kind of doing their own unique thing that I love what they're doing. It's just the flavors are very, you know, it, Unique is the word I keep going to, but I mean, and that's, and it's that, that's, that's a hard thing. It's a special thing to accomplish, you know, in this, yeah. in this industry. And that's one of the things too. I love going back out because we do the strange brew fest every year out in Port Townsend. They just got their brewery going in Port Townsend a couple of years ago. So it's like, okay, get to do strange brew fest and go to go to Propolis Brewing. It's like great weekend coming up, <laughs> you know? So you mentioned Propolis, you mentioned Fort George. What was the third brewery you mentioned? Logsdon. 
Logs Den. Logs Den Brewing. Logs Den. Uh, yeah, they're down at uh, Hood River. So they started by David Logs who started up Full Sail, and mm-hmm. then he went on started up Y East. The oh. you know, so and then now then he moved to Logs. I don't think he owns it anymore. I think he's pretty much retired at this point, mm-hmm. as far as I know. But people have taken over for him. They brew it in a little. It's like a little old farmhouse in just outside of Hood River, Oregon. Um, it, they've got copper kettles. It's I mean, it's cool. It's like a little farm that has, I think, I'm not sure on the size of their, uh, I think they're like seven or ten or something like that. They're not that big, but mm-hmm. like um, just very distinct flavor profiles with their their sour beers. Like their creek is really good. And they have a really nice wit too. I mean, there's nothing I've had from their brewery that I haven't enjoyed. So mm. everything has been really good. Okay. From really good to phenomenal. So Yeah. Uh, yeah, learn. I hear about new breweries every day, and a new one opens every. <laughs> they, they they have their bottles at Chuck's, so you should. Okay, okay, I gotta go check that out. <laughs> <laughs> I took Full Sail Brewery was the was the beer I took my Cicerone test on back in the day, so I remember. Oh wow! Yeah, the blonde I think was okay. the one that they had spiked with all the different stuff uh, to taste all the different off flavors. All the off flavors, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so keep those three breweries in mind. Okay. Uh, next question: What is your favorite beer that you brew here? Be it anything on tap right now or anything you've had brewed in the past? I think the one that I come back to, I, we've only brewed it a couple of times. Like, first time I had it, I was like, wow. Uh, it was a recipe that Nigel and I came up with together. It was a lavender ginseng orange wheat. And it's not sour, it's a standard beer, but it's at 6.5%, just, but all the flavors combine very well together. It's just refreshing, it's flavorful, it's, you know, pretty nice. But it's, you know, lavender, not the most common beer flavor. Ginseng, definitely. I don't know how many. Maybe a few yeah. I've seen. Yeah. I mean, orange isn't so crazy, but it's just like the finding that combination of flavors and having them work together that well. It's like that. It's like when that happens, it's like yes. Yes. So okay. Uh, keep those three breweries from earlier in mind. I'm going to ask you the same question. So what is your favorite beer that you've ever had? Maybe the one that turned you into the drinker you are today. Mm-hmm. Because it's obviously impossible to answer what your favorite beer <laughs> is, right? But, uh, but you know, the most influential beer. Uh, my husband and I stayed at a McMenamin's in Oregon, the St. Francis School, and they had a strawberry sour on tap and we probably drank three pitchers that night (laughs) it was awesome um that kind of turned me into sours so when jason makes new sours i'm like all over it like i love sours um but that was the most influential beer i that's what like got me into it so i didn't know beer could taste like that so (laughs) But yeah. It's always a game changer. I wouldn't uh-huh. remember what that sour tasted like, though, after three pitchers. <laughs> uh, I am not a lightweight. <laughs> <laughs> Righteous. Uh, the next question was, what's your favorite beer here? And you might not have even been here long enough to have had them all. Right. <laughs> go I, ha- I haven't had them all. I haven't um, ever sampled everything that's on tap. But mm. right now, I like the green tea sour. That's mm. my thing right now. Okay, so. the green tea sour. Mm-hmm. That's the one to try. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so he sort of came up with these as he was as he was telling his previous answer. His three sort of influential breweries, three breweries that matter. Um, you, you mentioned McMenamin's. You have two other breweries that were pretty influential. Uh, pretty inspiring to you in some way? Not really. I mean, I'm not that familiar either with breweries. I mean, we always knew about the McMenamin brand, mm-hmm. and then this is the other brewery that I'm like, that I really knew about. <laughs> My husband might have some better answers as far as that goes, but for me, I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, right on. Well, then I'll, I'll give you a pass on the next question. Uh, but back to you. So okay. the, your three breweries were Propolis and Port Townsend, yeah. Fort George, um, and then, um, and then Logs in. Logs in Brewing, yes. Logs in Brewing. So, between those three breweries, okay. which would you marry? <laughs> <laughs> which would you kill? Uh, and which would you bang? Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, this is a little too abstract. <laughs> <laughs> oh... Well, you said really good things about the last one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, th- I pro- think that yeah, one you'd marry. would probably be my Mary, just because <laughs> that is unique beer that I could drink all the time. Uh, For life. <laughs> yeah. 
for <laughs> Oh, shoot. The other two, though. Hmm. Between kill, you gotta kill one and, and well, bang the other. Fort George is a bit freaky, so let's go with bang on that one. Uh, and unfortunately, I have to kill locks, and that's not, not fun. Because uh, I know we're going down to the Festival of Dark Arts coming up in February down in, at Fort George, and that I've done it once before, and it's crazy. I hear it's a shit show. Oh, like, yeah. Every, every Airbnb and hotel is booked out a year in advance. And, like, well, I just, I just booked rooms a couple days ago. And okay, there was, so there was still a bad. couple. There was still a couple. So. Okay, okay. You're not going down into camp. <laughs> okay. Mm-mm. That's cool. Um, how do you get Do you have to buy tickets to go to that? I totally want to yeah. go. I, yeah. Tickets went on sale Black Friday, so they might still have some. Yeah. I definitely check the website. Okay. I'll, so. I'll, I'll go and look out for those. Um, guys, awesome. Thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, uh, you think about those three inspirational breweries and uh, <laughs> add a couple more to your list and I'll come back and I'll finish this off. Um, and we got to do another episode, you know, in, uh, in another year or two when yeah, you guys are settled yes. in and I got it all figured out. Yes, yeah. um, this has been a really unique story. This is Outlander. We're out in Fremont. We're right on 36th. One of my very favorite breweries in Seattle. And um, it's just been an absolute pleasure to talk to you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. What do you say we grab a beer? Sounds good. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> That was Angela and Jason from Outlander Brewery over in Fremont. And by the way, I did look up the Festival of Dark Arts. Those tickets are definitely sold out. Thanks for listening to Washington Beer Talk. If you like what you heard, then you can find other episodes of the podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. Don't forget to like, leave a review, and share with your friends. 